We're finally up to chapter 8, right at the end, commencing at verse 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you were a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Well... Friends, welcome. Uh, you might have seen the TV series. Have you seen this series? It'll, uh, I'll have a, the picture come up from the series. Who do you think you are? Anyone, anyone been uh, is a devotee of who do you think you are? It's a, it's a great sort of little series. And it, what it does is, if you don't know the series, it tracks uh, one celebrity, and it, it gets done in all different countries, but it tracks a celebrity as they travel the globe to uncover their family history. Um, so it kind of uh, you go through all these ups and downs of the, the the particular celebrity, and they find out all the skeletons in the closet and all of that. Um, but it, it it taps into something really deep in this 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 show. I think it, this sense that uh, we're who we are, uh, our kind of understanding of our identity is grounded in uh, our. F- Family and its history, our, our mother and father who themselves had a mother and father who themselves had a mother and father and it goes back and back and back. Um, as, as the show goes on, the, uh, you see these celebs, like I say, uncover everything. They, go, they uncover all the complexity and the beauty and the mess of their family tree. Um, and it, the, the, the theory is that it helps them to get a sense of who they are today and when they know their family lineage um, it's, a, this, it's a theme that's come up throughout John's Gospel, right? If, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, that'll ring some bells. Uh, we saw it last week in the middle of John 8. G, uh, Jesus then was talking to these Jewish leaders. Um, and they claim to know God because of who they think they are. They claim to know God because they can connect themselves to Abraham. They're part of Abraham's family. Um, they're part of the special chosen people of God. Um, but we saw this is sort of recapping last week. We saw then that Jesus makes this outrageous claim that 
their physical family, sure, they, they were connected to Abraham physically, but that really wasn't the most important thing about who they really were. Um, they might be able to trace their family tree back to Abraham, but it was their spiritual family that really mattered. Uh, it, when it comes to your relationship with God, uh, that your, your physical family tree isn't what matters. It's, it's how you respond to Jesus that matters. Uh, so Jesus says to them in verse 42 of chapter 8, If God were your father, if God really were your father, you would love me. So Jesus says to them, If, if, if you really had God as your father, it would show in the way you treated me, Jesus says. He is the son of the father, the eternal word made flesh, and the fact that he's standing there and these guys reject him shows that they don't belong to him. They don't know him. Um, even though they have impeccable pedigree. In fact, and this was where things really got tense last week, if you were here and you remember, uh, the fact of that they, they are showing all these traits, they're actually this, this, the spiritual family traits, not of God, uh, but of the great enemy of God, the father of lies, the devil. Despite all their family history and learning and devotion, they actually belong to that family and not to God's. So it was this really sobering picture of their spiritual family tree um, last week. But in this passage, what we get as we come to the end of this conversation, in this passage... Uh, the, the whole conversation comes to a head and Jesus shifts the focus from who they really are to who he really is. Uh, and all of this, um, all of what Jesus has said up to this point, and we'll dive into verse 48. Um, see, they, the, the, the Jews respond to Jesus' claims about them uh, what Jesus says about them they, uh, is so outrageous. They've, make up, they've made up their minds. They know exactly who they think he is. Verse 48. Uh, the Jews answered him. Oh, sorry, I'll go back. Flicked one more. The Jews answered him. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Uh, it's an interesting thing they say, isn't it? They get to that point in the argument where they've got nothing to say except... Uh, to insult the other person, you know, when the kind of a discussion devolves into that to that point where all you've got left is insults. That's what they're doing here. They get to the point uh, to call Jesus a Samaritan. It was basically an ethnic slur. Um, the Samaritans, as a people group, were despised by the Jewish people um, in, on the whole, in general. Um, but not only that, they, they notice they call him demon possessed. Um, it's the only way they can account for his claims. Uh, for what he says, he's this crazy Samaritan, not just crazy, but he's actually evil. He's controlled by some evil force. You notice what Jesus does in reply, though. He, he doesn't take the bait. Um, he doesn't even, actually, he doesn't even dignify their racial slur with any response. He doesn't respond to the Samaritan issue at all. He just kind of lets that go. But he does... Answer the charge about demon possession. Verse 49, he says, I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my Father and you dishonour me. If I, uh, I am not seeking glory for myself, 
Uh, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So what Jesus has said about them isn't because he's under some demonic influence. It's not because he's possessed by a demon. Uh, it's not even just because he's got some wacky Samaritan ideas about the Jews. He says that this simply is because he's being obedient to his father. He's honouring his father. That's why he says the things he says, because he's honouring his father. From verse 38 last week, it's not on the screen, but uh, you can flick your eye back if you have your Bible open in verse 38 of the chapter. He's just saying that, uh, all he's saying is what he has seen from the father. He's seen this from the father. That's all he's saying. So it's not because he's crazy. It's not because he's evil. All he's doing is being obedient to his father. Um, and you notice that the second, the, the, what he says there about seeking his own glory, it's not just that he's not demon-possessed. He, he's also not just an egomaniac. You know? He's not just saying all this stuff in order to put other people down, to lift himself up, to make a bit of a splash in, this, in the theological scene of the day. That's not what he's doing. He's not a kind of vain attempt at glory-grabbing for himself. In fact, his word is life and truth and light. Verse 51, Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. See what Jesus is doing here? He makes this, you know, we're kind of getting used to these stunning claims Jesus makes. But he, 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 uh, he goes on this theme of the devil and being demon-possessed. And he says, Far from being demonic, Jesus' word is true and from God, and the one who receives it in faith and obeys it will never see death. See what he's getting at? Death is what the devil works for. Um, that's in the, in the Bible's story right back in the beginning. It's death that comes as a result of the devil's lies to the first humans listening to his lies. Death is the fruit that comes from the devil. And far from being demonic, Jesus is the one who brings victory over death. Well, this sets the Jews going even more. So from verse 52, at this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Uh, Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets, and here's their question, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You see, they, can, they see that Jesus is claiming something about himself that no one else could claim, that no one else ever had. He's saying something utterly unique. The greatest people in their history, Abraham, the founder of the, the Jewish people, the prophets, the ones who mediated God's word to his people, the greatest people in their religious and national history, even they didn't escape death. And here you are, Jesus, claiming that you can save people from death. Who do you think you are? 
Who do you make yourself out to be? But Jesus keeps going. He keeps insisting, verse 54. Jesus replies, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Um, This isn't just about him making himself out to be someone. He's not big noting himself. It's simply the reality of who he is. The Son of God, the Father. In fact, if you flick down to verse 55, and it's sort of partway through there, Jesus says, for him to deny this would actually be for him to be a liar like them. Uh, So he's not saying all this just to big note himself. He's just saying it because it's actually true. The reality is that even the greatest in the long history of Israel, even Abraham, the man of faith, who God chose to begin this nation, Jesus' answer is, yes, actually, I am greater than Abraham. And Abraham knew it. Oh, sorry, I'll flick back. Abraham knew it. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. kind of hard for us to um, on one level feel the impact of that statement Um, for the people who were hearing Jesus um, they knew that the, the whole story of God and his world of the whole story of God and the world was focused in on Abraham was focused in on Abraham and the people who came out of him Um, They were the bearers of God's great promise that uh, he would undo the curse of sin and death. His great promise that he he would, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. His great promise to bring his blessing to every nation and to renew the world as it was always meant to be. Abraham knew this. You see, Abraham knew that he actually wasn't the high point of this story. He was just the beginning. He knew that God was doing something unthinkably huge and wonderful and joy-giving through his family. And Jesus is saying that now that Jesus is here, now that he is here, that moment of fulfillment that Abraham 2,000 years earlier looked towards and longed for, the, great mo- the greatest moment in, in all of the history of the world, Jesus is saying that moment, the great completion of God's saving purpose when even death will be defeated and those who trust in Jesus will share in that, that victory spiritually now and physically in the new creation, I think that's how we understand Jesus, what he says about um, not seeing death. But Jesus is saying that time is now here. That was what filled Abraham with joy when he looked forward to that day. That's what Abraham hoped for. And he looks at these guys who are there standing with him and arguing with him and he says... You claim to be Abraham's children. You claim to be Abraham's children. 
But if he were here now, he wouldn't, he wouldn't despise me. He wouldn't refuse to hear my words. He'd be, he'd be chucking a party. You know, like he, he, would, he rejoiced to see this day. This would be the great fulfillment of all his longings and hopes because he would know that this is the moment when God would do what he promised fully and finally. So yes, Jesus answers, he is greater than Abraham and it's not arrogance to say that, it's simply reality. And Abraham himself would agree. But they keep pressing, verse 57. You're not yet 50 years old, they say to him. They just kind of scoff at him. You're, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Apparently 50 was retirement age back then. So sorry to all you guys still working uh, uh, and it was sort of the age where you, you, you were considered by society to have reached full maturity. And, and, and here's this upstart mid-30-year-old in their midst, Jesus. How on earth can he claim this direct connection with Abraham Two th- you know, roughly 2,000 years before him? Well... Jesus keeps pressing into this and makes his greatest claim yet. And this is where the whole conversation has been leading to. In verse 58, very truly I tell you, whenever Jesus says that, you know he's, he's trying to say this, listen up. Okay, if you haven't listened to anything else, listen now. Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, anyone who knows anything about grammar can tell you that's terrible syntax. Any grammar aficionados here? Um, you've got a present tense. Anyway, if, if Jesus is trying to say that he was actually older than Abraham, um, you'd, what you'd expect him to say was, before Abraham was born, I was. Or, I, I was born even before him. And I've been hiding the whole time since and surprise. Of course that's not what he's saying, right? Um, He's actually making a much bigger claim here. It's not just that he's older and greater than Abraham on some kind of sliding scale of oldness and greatness, you know, sort of he is Abraham and Jesus is Abraham plus one. He's a little bit before, so he is actually greater than Abraham. That's not what Jesus is the claim Jesus is making. Uh, he's saying that on that scale, he and Abraham are actually on completely different scales altogether. He's not on the same level. Um, so he uses this strange phrase, before Abraham was born, I am. He's claiming not just to existed a little bit before Abraham, he's claiming an eternal existence <laughs> A, continual, a continuous existence outside of the time-bound life that everyone else experiences. Well, there's even much more to this little phrase than that. It's not just that he's playing with grammar to make a point about his eternal nature. There's something that would have just driven the nail home to everyone who was hearing it. He draws on um, this other high point in Israel's history. 
It's interesting how Jesus has done that all the way along, right? If you remember through chapter 7 and 8, he's at this Feast of Tabernacles, but he's done it all through John's Gospel. He draws on these key moments of identity for God's people Israel and he, he points them to himself. Here he draws on this high point in Israel's history when they were in slavery and in Egypt and God used Moses to lead them out, if you're familiar with the story. Uh, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. You can find it back in Exodus 3. And um, hopefully this will flick all the way back to Exodus. And God says to Moses, out of the, the bush that is on fire but not being consumed, God reveals his name to Moses, his personal name. He says to Moses in Exodus 3, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. God is sending Moses to the Israelites to, to bring them out of Egypt. This is what you are to say to them. I am has sent me to you. This name becomes the, the personal name of God that for his people, for his people who are in a covenant relationship with him. Um, if, you, if you're reading through your Old Testament and you're confused about, sometimes you see the word Lord and it's all in capital letters. Um, and you wonder why, why is this word Lord in capital letters? It's because it's this, there's, there's a long story to that, but basically it's this, this name being used. Another way, word sometimes we use is the name Yahweh. Um, it's the same name here. It's a way of saying the Hebrew word that's behind this. The word God chooses for his own personal name. I am who I am. There's lots in there, but what God is saying here is that he, he doesn't draw his existence from anyone else or anything else. He has life in and of himself. He's totally self-sufficient. I am who I am. I have life within myself. I alone am the source of life. Jesus here is new, knew this. Jesus here is knew all about this. And the connection he was making was unmistakable. Um, one of the great convictions of God's people um, throughout in the Old Testament, um, up to this point, that's a conviction that we share. One of the great convictions that the Jewish people hearing Jesus had uh, was that ultimately there are really only two things. There's God and there's everything else. Ultimately, there are two things and there is this thick line between them. Uh, God was the creator and everything else was his creation. It came from him. He sustains everything else. Uh, and that thick line meant that uh, there was this clear distinction between God, the, the creator, and us, the creation, everything else. Um, he's the one who has life in himself. He's I am who I am. We have life only from him. And to cross that line, to be someone... Oh, there we go. <laughs> but to be someone here and to claim to cross that line, to make a claim about yourself that puts you up the top of that line, well, that was one of the greatest... 
wickednesses, actually, taboos, the thing that you couldn't abide by um, to claim that. It's blasphemy to claim that. Now, what's really interesting is Jesus doesn't actually argue with that view of the world. He doesn't say, actually, this is wrong. Uh, I'm another God alongside Yahweh. Um, He doesn't claim anything like that. He claims something much more profound. He's saying... He's not saying that he has kind of made his way up. I'll just skip through these. Um, he's not saying that he has made his way up uh, into, into divinity. No, he's not saying that he has somehow, because of his greatness, he has crossed the great divide. What he's saying is that he has come down. This isn't creation claiming the status of creator. This is the creator, no one less than Yahweh himself, entering into his creation in the person of Jesus. His connection to God his Father is so intimate and eternal and unique that at the end of the day, the only place we can put Jesus is above the line. The wonder of the gospel is that the one who was above, (laughs) entered below, took on flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, friends, this is one of the clearest claims to divinity that Jesus makes in the whole gospel. He's saying nothing less, if we hear it rightly, than that the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, the God who created and sustains all things, the God who is making all things new, he's saying that he is no one less than that God. And the people around him know what he's saying. Um, You can see it there in verse 59 in your Bibles. I didn't put it in here. But the people around him know what he's saying. They don't believe him. Uh, They think think he is someone down here trying to get up to the top. And they accuse him of blasphemy. Uh, They're so outraged by it that they take up stones to stone him. But we've already heard earlier in the chapter, Jesus' time hasn't come yet. So the one who created the stones has no problem escaping them. (laughs) Easily enough, he slips away and he leaves this claim hanging in the air. It is one of the high points of Jesus revealing who he is in the whole of the Bible, in the whole of John's Gospel. just want to draw some things together, friends. It's important to remember this comes at the end of... Chapter and seven and eight, they, they sort of hang together, chapter seven and eight. We, the, the problem of looking with, at one passage each week means that you can kind of separate them out. But if you remember when we looked at chapter seven last year, um, this, all, this whole conversation is taking place at the same time uh, at this Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus has come to the central place uh, for God's Old Testament people. He's come to Jerusalem, to the temple. He's come to one of the biggest festivals of the year, Uh, And he's taken all of this imagery, remember from last year, the pouring out of water, or a couple of weeks ago, the huge beacons of light that were lit to be a symbol of God's presence with his people. He's taken all of this imagery and he's claimed it for himself. He is the one who can give the real, lasting and living water that can satisfy you eternally. He is the real light of the world. 
God's presence with his people to guide them. He is the one who is the truth, who sets free those who come to him. He's made all these claims together, all of these claims in this short time as he's standing there in the temple courts at this festival. And when you get to the end, the claim of this passage, uh, the claim of this passage is kind of like the culmination of it all, the greatest claim to who he is. How do we think about all this? How do we live in response to it? I, there are many ways. I, do, I want to finish with an encouragement for you, actually, to, to just soak yourself in the bigness of this reality. It's far too easy for me, I know, and maybe for you too, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, to hear this claim of Jesus and sort of to take it for granted. Of course Jesus is God. If you've been a Christian for a while, you kind of, it's easy uh, to, to, to sort of take that for granted without seeing, without seeing it, without feeling the shock of it, the scandal of it. I mean, what was it about these Jewish leaders that they, what did they see that we don't, that made them so outraged by this claim of Jesus? Uh, they at least, they understood, didn't they? They understood the implication of what Jesus was saying here. If Jesus is the great I am, if he is no one less than God incarnate, God made flesh, then everything changes. It means the entire human story turns on him, on this moment that we have recorded for us in the Gospels. It means my story turns on my relationship to him. It means your story turns on your relationship to him. He deserves all glory and honour and praise, not hard-hearted, stiff-necked arguments that he's getting as he stands there. But the people he's talking to can't swallow that. And they're happy for Jesus to be a good, a good teacher, a miracle worker. They're happy for him to be another rabbi, and even maybe a great rabbi, but not this. The enormity of his claims scandalised them. Uh, and it should have an impact on us too if we hear it properly. But it doesn't need to lead us to where it led them. Friends, maybe the scandal of the claim, maybe it's kind of hitting you today and maybe it does trouble you. Maybe it does actually make you side more with the Jewish leaders than Jesus' disciples. Um. The key thing, as you read on John's Gospel, is uh, the, the key thing actually is not whether you like Jesus' claim. The key thing is whether or not it's true. Whether or not it's true. There's a longer conversation to be had, but the first place to go is to just to keep reading John's Gospel. So stick around, um, and especially to look at the resurrection of Jesus. His death and resurrection are like. The stamp, God's great stamp over all his claims to say that they are actually true. Jesus really did rise again in history 
That's the claim to explore. And if, if you believe that, then all the dominoes fall after that. Everything else falls into place. But friends, for those who have accepted this truth, um, for you who have already believed in Jesus, we've got to feel the, the weight, the scandal of this claim, but it's also, I think, easy for us to forget the beauty and wonder of it too. Um, there's something that happens, there's something really, really deep that happens when this truth, particularly, the knowledge of the reality of who Jesus is, this person who came and lived in history and, and said and did these things, there's something really deep that happens when that becomes not just another doctrinal point you believe, but a living reality for you especially when you face your doubts and fears, there's something that happens when you don't just kind of gloss over, sure, Jesus is God, but you let the hugeness of that claim shape how you relate to him. And particularly, I want to say, how you receive his word. Just let these soak over you, just from the last two chapters. This is words from the lips of this one, right? Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And from this passage we read today, this incredible promise that we will share even in Jesus' victory over death, spiritually now and physically in the new creation. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever obeys my word will never see death. All that just in the last two, all that just while Jesus has been standing here in the temple courts at the Feast of Tabernacles. Keep reading the rest of John's Gospel to hear more from this one. See, friends, the wonder of the Gospel is not just who Jesus is. It is that. But what he did, what his mission was. That's, um, I, I can't really express it better than the Nicene Creed we read earlier. That says so powerfully both of those things that we confess that Jesus is the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. Before Abraham was, I am, says Jesus. That's who this one is who makes these claims. But the Nicene Creed goes on. It's not just who he is, but what he came to do, what his mission was. For us, 
See, even that with those words, this great I am for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He was made human. He was crucified. He, that one, was crucified for us and for our salvation. Under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and he was buried. The third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And so, friends, when Jesus speaks, God speaks. When Jesus acts, God acts. When Jesus paid for your sin on the cross, taking it on himself, dying in your place, that is no one less than God taking your penalty for sin, bearing your punishment out of his great love for you. And now you have a new family, a new identity. Who do you think you are? Well, now you are someone who is in this one, in Christ, in the great I am. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word to us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, your, the eternal word of, word of the Father made flesh. We thank you for Jesus' promise that anyone who is thirsty can come to him and drink. That anyone who follows him will never walk in darkness. That he is the one who gives truth, a truth that can set us free that he is the one who even gives hope through death, hope of victory over death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your victory over death and for accomplishing that on the cross and in your resurrection. Oh Lord, we pray that we might have a renewed vision of the greatness of who Jesus is. And may that fill us with increased thankfulness and like Abraham real joy to know that this one is the one who brings about your great plan of salvation and who sweeps us up in it and gives us eternal life and we thank you for that please do that among us in Jesus name Amen well, friends uh we're going to share in the Lord's Supper straight away now. After um, hearing God's word to us, we're going to take, share together in this symbolic meal that reminds us of that great moment when the great I Am, Jesus himself, took all of our sin on himself. Um, the way that will work is in a moment we're going to pray together a prayer of confession uh, and then I'll ask some, um, some people to hand out the juice and the bread. If you can just take one of each and hold on to it, that would be good. And uh, we'll eat and drink it together. Um, all those who are trusting in Christ in, in this one, please um, join us and you're very welcome to do that. 
Um, we welcome kids in believing families to take part as well. We trust that parents will take um, uh, the care to explain what's going on to your kids. Um, but other than that, friends, uh, the most important thing for us is actually to respond by tuning our hearts to this reality. We're going to pray a prayer of confession where we do humbly confess our sins towards this great God who has done so much for us through Jesus. Um, the purpose of that is not just to wallow in those sins, but actually to fire our hearts with thankfulness for what God has done in response through the cross. So we're going to pray that, and then uh, some music will go on while we hand that out, and there'll be time for quiet reflection. Okay. So um, this will come up on the screen, this prayer of confession. I invite you, uh, as you're sitting, to join with me in confessing your sins before Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. So uh, please join with me and let's pray together. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you made all things and call all people to account. We humbly confess the sins we have committed against you in thought, word and deed. We rightly deserve your condemnation. We are truly sorry for our sins and turn from them. We turn to you and to the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place. Have mercy on us, Father, and forgive us of all our sin. Change us by your grace and enable us by your Spirit to serve and please you in newness of life for your honour and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.